What's up, everybody? This is David Jagno, senior editor from thecoalition.com, and you're joining us for episode 22 of Turn Based, our RPG-focused podcast at the Coalition. I'm joined by my usual co-host Gary. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, what's up? This is Gary Swaby. Uh, good to be back on another Turn Base. Yeah, it's awesome that we're finally getting into a good rhythm and schedule. You know, we usually sometimes have a month or more in between episodes, but we seem to be doing yeah. pretty well now. And we have another guest on this episode. Why don't you say hi and introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Matt Sainsbury from uh, Digitally Downloaded. So thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Uh, why don't you go ahead and just kind of talk about yourself, your background, uh, tell us about Digitally Downloaded and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So I was uh, formerly one of the journalists at uh, Game Pro before... That magazine and publication uh, went belly up, unfortunately. Uh, so after that, I went along and started my own uh, website, which is uh, the digitally downloaded that you now see. Uh, I've been around for writing about games for about 15 years. Um, and yeah, I don't know what else to say, really. <laughs> uh, well, I'm kind of curious about the name of digitally downloaded. Do you only focus on games that can be downloaded or is that just kind of a name that you decided on? When we started the website, uh, it was to be focused on games that you could download through Steam and the various uh, console download portals. Of course, these days every game's released digitally as well, so it's pretty much a, a redundant name now. But <laughs> yes, originally it was for download games only. Okay. And when did the site launch? Uh, it's been around for about three years now. Okay, cool, cool. And what about your time at GamePro? How, how is the difference between writing for a publication versus online? Well, most of my work with GamePro was for, for the website. Uh, oh, okay. GamePro, GamePro in Australia pretty much pulled the, the magazine from the U.S., so uh, it, was, it was basically the, the online site that I was working for. Okay, okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's definitely pretty awesome. Do you do any other writing or anything, or is this a downloaded pretty much your full-time gig? No, I'm a, I do a lot of writing for business clients as well, so uh, my background is actually in business journalism. Um, so I've done projects for everybody from financial services organizations through to manufacturers, so I uh, must admit not as interesting as writing about games, but it does pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> See, in, in that sense, you and I are pretty similar, because right now I write business plans for a company here in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, there's not that much money to be made writing about games, but um, it's it's much more interesting. <laughs> it, it really is. <laughs> yeah, I feel really outshined right now because I'm talking to two professional writers, technically. So you know, 
I need to step <laughs> my game up a little bit. Hey, but you're a freelance web designer. You work for yourself. That's pretty awesome in its own way. Yeah, I guess you could say that. All right, so do you have any questions about us or anything like that before we get into the topics? No, nothing other than to say that you guys uh, run a really great website and I'm really, really glad to be involved in any way uh, I can. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, it's great to finally hear your voice, too. We've been communicating via Twitter for the past couple months, so it's cool to actually hear your voice. I do hope my Aussie accent's not too thick. No, not at all, no. Good stuff. <laughs> Alright, so first up, we can just kind of talk about what we've each individually been playing over the past couple weeks. Uh, for me, since the last episode, the big review that I've got up on the site was for Tales of Zillia. Um, ended up getting kind of a late copy from Namco, but I did get a chance to play through quite a bit of the game, and I'm definitely a big fan. I'm going to come back to it, and we're going to talk about Tales more later, so I'm not going to go into too much, but my review is on the site. I gave it a 90 out of 100. It's a great game. I really, really loved it. Um, I've also been playing Dragon's Crown, which the review for that is forthcoming as well. That's another one that I got kind of a late copy on from Atlas, but that review is going to be up soon. Um, as far as non-RPGs go, I've been playing Amnesia, uh, Machine for Pigs. That game's pretty interesting. It's quite a bit different than the first one. It's also a different developer, so it's kind of, there's some interesting things there. Um, I've only been playing at nighttime with the lights off, so it's it's been a pretty chilling experience. I had to stop at one point whenever I first started. There was some, it got a little overwhelming for a few minutes. I had to kind of stop for a second. Um, besides that... A little bit of Guild Wars 2 here and there. Uh, Gary and I played some Chivalry Medieval Warfare yesterday. Really loved yeah. that game. I always that was that really fun. It. Yeah, I chopped your head off a lot more than you chopped mine off. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really that good at that game. I need to um, I need to put some more hours into it to really perfect the whole blocking and stuff because uh, blocking can be difficult. Have you so, ever played that game, Matt? No, I haven't. I must admit. Okay, it's okay. You're familiar with Mountain Blade. I know we've talked about that before. It's yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's a similar combat system where you um, sort of angle your attacks and you have to aim your blocking, but it's first person and it's purely uh, infantry based, and it's mostly it's only like a multiplayer online game. There's not really a story mode or you know single player or anything like that. It's just skirmishes and stuff. But it's it's super fun. It's this one of the best like melee combat simulators I've ever played. It's awesome. Well, that's more than enough to get me interested. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend it. Uh, that, that's about it that I've been playing. Um, I haven't been playing a whole lot of RPGs besides the two I'm reviewing. So, yeah, then that's pretty much it. What about you, Matt? Well. Obviously, there's a couple of games I'm running through for for the review. So I've got uh, Diablo 3 and uh, the Kingdom Hearts uh, remix uh, on the works. Uh, other than that, in terms of games that I'm purely playing for fun, I'm still pretty much hooked on Final Fantasy XIV, uh, the New Realm Reborn. Uh, and then in terms of the non uh, the non-RPGs, uh, Killer is Dead is one that I keep coming back to. Uh, 
know that's a controversial game, but I personally thought it was amazing. All right, cool. Uh, I'm sure you and Gary can have a lot of stuff to talk about for Final Fantasy XIV. He's been playing that too. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been playing Final Fantasy XIV, and um, I should have a review up on the site within the next two days. So look out for that. Um, uh, what level are you on there now, Matt? Uh, I'm a level thirty something. Oh wow! So yeah, you you spent a lot of time on there. Um, um, well, I have three characters, and my highest level character is fifteen. So um, yeah, I've been going back and forth between characters and stuff. So yeah, Have I mean, you experiment with characters though. I I'm, I played around with another one. I'm only up to that level five or six with that one, but yeah, it's it, yeah. it is interesting how each character plays significantly different from one another. Yeah. Uh, my thing is with the game, though, um, like the first couple of hours you spend in the game, to to somebody who's familiar with other MMOs, they can seem kind of boring. But once you hit like level 10, uh, the game really starts to open up, like it starts to really take off and there's a lot of things to do. And uh, one of the features I really like as well is um, when you log into the game, it tells you like... Uh, different quests and stuff that you can do that are close by to wherever you are so like you're never at a loss for what to do next and stuff there's always like stuff going on around you so yeah it's it's a really fun game yeah I agree I, I think the best thing about that game is the fact that there is always something new to do and it's always just around the corner uh, those yeah. fake quests especially it's it's great just kind of wandering across one uh, while you're in the middle of doing something else and then having to do a sidetrack to do the fake quest and then get back onto the main track and it's just there's always something pulling you in some other direction yeah you could spend hours on that game you know like if, if you get up to level 10 like once you get there like you can spend hours on the game because it just really starts to open up to you so yeah i'm enjoying that right now okay um, I, before you go on i have a question about that then because uh i don't know if you've played guild wars 2 matt have you played that at all no, I haven't. I've only played the first one. Okay. So I'm kind of curious, Gary, how um, does it compare to Guild Wars 2 for you? Because I know we've played that a lot, and you're almost yeah. at a level cap in that game. And that's another one where there's always new stuff going on all around you. So I'm kind of wondering yeah. how, like, what the different approaches are. Yeah, um, hands down, I think Guild Wars 2 is the better game. And, you know, it's... Uh, uh, I can't even say content-wise. I think just the way everything works in Guild Wars, like it's just intuitive and like. Uh, but the thing is with Final Fantasy XIV, it's like there's too much tutorials as well. Like you'll always get you're always getting tutorials pop up on screen and stuff. But with Guild Wars Two, you don't really need all that. Like you just, it's like you just automatically know what to do, and they don't have to like feed you tons of text on the screen to to um, tell you how everything works. So and, uh, that's what I like about Guild Wars 2. So in Final Fantasy XIV, it's a pretty traditional MMO quest structure where you go to NPC, they give you a quest, you do it, go back. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not too familiar with it. I only played the beta very shortly, so... Okay, there, there are things that fourteen does better than Guild Wars 2 as well, because, uh, for example... Uh, I talked to you about this earlier, but with um, with dungeons in Guild Wars 2, you have to like literally stand around um, either Lion's Ark or near the dungeon that you wanna you wanna um, go into, and you have to try and find a party of people 
that will that will want to do the dungeon with you and stuff. But in Final Fantasy, like say you want to fight a boss, like there's there's loads of different bosses you can fight as your level progresses, and uh, you don't have to like try to find a party. You can just um, say that you're interested in fighting this boss, and then the game will automatically match you with other players that also want to fight that boss. It's actually pretty so. interesting that this topic came up because the next content update coming on. Uh I think it's on Friday, September 20th, or it might be earlier next week. Uh, no, it's on the 17th. It's on Tuesday. Uh, they're adding a looking for group function to Guild Wars 2. Oh, that that would be great once they add that. Because I remember uh, we had issues with that a couple times. Where yeah, it's, it's, interest, it's strange that the MO has been out for over a year and they didn't have a looking for group function. Um, yeah, I guess they felt like they had to add it now because of 14, maybe. Well, that and there's that um, website that's I think it's like gw2lfg.com or something like that where people have they have to go on there to find groups. All right, so what else have you been playing? Uh, well, I'm trying to been uh, I'm trying to focus on that because you know I'm reviewing it and stuff. But I've also been playing Dragon Age Origins for fun here and there. Um, I love that game. You already know this. So yeah, I just decided to play that again because I brought the Ultimate Edition on PC, and there's still a few like um, quests that I never did, like the DLC stuff. So yeah, I'm definitely going to get around to that now, and um, that's pretty much it for me. Okay, yeah, it seems like we're all kind of playing very different stuff. All right, so I guess we'll go into the news topics next. I was going to talk about Guild Wars 2 a little bit, but we've already kind of touched on that. As people probably know, if you play the game, they started doing their new system where they have a new content update every two weeks. So that's happening on Tuesday. It's going to be the new update. There's going to be uh, updated bosses, new stuff for World vs. World. Um, they're going to have some new rewards you can get. The story arcs going to involve a, a, a dragon that's kind of being revamped. So it's it's going to be pretty cool. Um, yeah. As far as other news topics that I wanted to kind of talk about, first is something that people thought was related to Square, and they thought it might have been something related to Kingdom Hearts, but it's kind of looking like it might be something else entirely, or a fan project. Uh, it's uh, What I'm referring to is Project Stadi. There was a teaser website that popped up uh, last week, had a c- countdown timer on it, and an image of a very a Kingdom Hearts-looking tower, and uh, very aesthetically similar to Kingdom Hearts. And the timer runs out a little over a day from the moment we're recording this podcast right now. So I'm kind of wondering what um, what you guys think it might be. The Square said that they're not involved with it. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering what you guys think it might be. Um, so, like, is it completely... Like just because that tower looks like something out of Kingdom Hearts, is that the only relation people got to that and Square Enix? Uh, I think it has to do with that, and it also the music is pretty similar. And it also, if you look at the source code for the website, it's called Project Astadi Kingdom Hearts. Oh, 
So so it so it's definitely related to Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, because also it has some information in the like the contact area of the page. It says Project Estadi is unofficial. It's not affiliated with or endorsed by Square or Disney. Licenses for the legal distribution of the project were obtained. Kingdom Hearts is a registered trademark. Blah 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 blah. Well, what are your thoughts on it, Matt? Yeah, I, if they if they did require those licenses, that's, that's a different matter. I mean, I can't imagine it being a sorry a Kingdom Hearts game and not pulling in the lawyers. Even if I, I can't I can't see Square Enix giving away uh, the license to use that game to a third party uh, or Disney yeah. for that matter. They're both very controlling of their their IP typically. So. Perhaps it's a fan film. Perhaps it's something along those lines. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of in the same position. I don't understand because, uh, the like I said, the footer area of the webpage definitely says that licenses for the legal distribution of the project were obtained. So I'm wondering. Uh, it's probably not a game. I, I kind of agree with you. I don't think they would do that. Even if it's a mobile title, I feel like you know Square is expanding into the mobile stuff. They would just do it themselves. Um, maybe it's a fan film, possibly, like you are saying. I'm, I'm not too sure. Yeah, I, I think it would have to be something like that, you know, like a fan film or animation or something. Because, uh, you know, if it is a game, Square Enix are definitely going to be behind it because they need this stuff. You know they need to milk these these IPs and stuff. So right, right. And yeah. another interesting thing is the Twitter for Project Estadi is just full of quotes about from Kingdom Hearts, like completely just that's all the Twitter is. And then they also kind of reference the countdown and stuff, but it's you know just stuff about you know finding the key, unlocking the door, um, you know the different classes you could pick at the beginning of the game. That's pretty much the whole Twitter is just quotes from Kingdom Hearts. Sorry, perhaps it's some kind of encyclopedia? Possibly. I could see that. Yeah. Maybe like an interactive wiki or something like that? Yeah, exactly. That that would be something that I would imagine Square Enix and Disney wouldn't get too upset with if it was a fan project. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I'm, I'm wondering, Destati... Um, I just googled the name. I was kind of curious. Apparently, that's the name of a song from the Kingdom Hearts soundtrack. So okay, I guess so maybe it's like it. It could be something to do with like the music soundtrack, maybe remix. Possibly, possibly. It's also um, I don't know how reliable this is, but. Yeah, according to Urban Dictionary, it's an Italian word meaning awakening. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also one of the like key songs um, in Kingdom Hearts. Apparently, the English version of the song is known as "Dive into the Heart." So, oh, right. maybe it could be music related. I don't know. Time will tell. Yeah. Speaking of um, Kingdom Hearts, though, did anybody get the the 1.5 HD collection? Yeah, I've been playing that through for a review, uh, and it's it's not bad. But must be said, I guess that being being games that are not originally HD, I I, I generally have a problem with these HD remi- remakes uh, or uh, ports in that they um 
they might look, they might have the HD uh, effect thrown over them, they might look sharp, but they still look like old games. So Kingdom Hearts uh, is in HD now, but at the same time it still looks blocky, <laughs> like a PlayStation 2 game. So Right, right. Yeah. I think there's a big um, difference, you know, a lot of people don't understand, like there's a difference between an HD, like, update or a port, which is what that was, and an HD remake. Because those are very different things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I expect Final Fantasy X will look absolutely incredible as a HD remake as opposed to a HD port. Right, right. I've seen, based on what I've seen, I am, I don't think there's anything that we can be disappointed by. It, it, it looks incredible so far. Agreed. But then the other thing, I mean, Kingdom Hearts games are pretty infamous for being uh, incredibly obscure. So if you haven't played many of the Kingdom Hearts games before... Uh, and you're looking to get into the series, perhaps in preparation for Kingdom Hearts 3 and the like, picking up this package is a good way to actually understand the, the overall narrative that's running through the series. Yeah, yeah. That's, some, that's something I definitely want to do, because uh, I kind of missed out on those games, you know, in the PS2 era. But I, I definitely want to um, I want to be able to show some sort of interest in Kingdom Hearts 3, so I, I want to go back and play these ones. Although one thing that I do like about this edition is that it's the remix version, so North American audiences are getting stuff that they didn't get originally. So there is kind of a little bit more incentive to buy it, even if you already own it. And also for me, I like to buy the HD versions of stuff just you know to have it on the current console, so I don't have to pull on my PS2 to play a game, and I get trophy support, I can still be on PSN, all that kind of stuff is nice. Yeah, yeah, and Kingdom Hearts, the original Kingdom Hearts, is still probably the best of the series as far as I'm concerned. I agree. Um, I think Kingdom Hearts, after that first game, went a little bit silly in terms of the narrative and... Especially too. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> Square Enix got very in, in love with its own characters to the expense of the Disney side of things, I've always felt. Uh, the later Kingdom Hearts games might be set in Disney worlds, but they don't feel like Disney games. Whereas the original Kingdom Hearts actually has a very strong Disney vibe to it. Yeah, I mean, Maleficent and all the princesses and all that stuff was the key to the plot, basically. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, one of our uh, writers actually just posted an editorial last week about this exact topic, um, listing out things he wanted in Kingdom Hearts 3, and one of the main things was focusing on Disney more, especially the villains. I think that has been missed out since the original game. So, maybe it'll happen, but uh, on Kingdom Hearts 3, I do. Th um, it does seem like it's going to be quite a long time before we ever get to see the game. Uh, it seems like at E3, they pretty much, all they've done is confirm that the game is going to happen. Um, but the same guy that is directing Final Fantasy 15 is directing Kingdom Hearts 3, which means it'll at least be, I would say at the very least, two years after 15 comes out, before Kingdom Hearts 3 ever comes out. So, are, do you think are you guys surprised by this, or are you kind of just like you know Square kind of does this a lot, so it's not too surprising? Um, well, as a a big Final Fantasy fan, I'm just happy that the that's coming out first, of course. But um, I mean, it does suck that you know we have to wait really a really long time for Kingdom Hearts three because I know people have been like dying for a new game for for years, so it sucks for those people. Um, and you know, of course, the reason is because they're using like the same director 
and he's he's doing both projects and stuff. Yeah. But um, I'm like, is it not possible that they can like have somebody managing like just that game, and you know the the director can kind of oversee things or something? I don't know. I don't know how it works, but it does suck for those people who have been waiting for this game. It also depends how hands-on uh, the director is at this stage. I'm not quite sure how the exact process for developing a game goes, but when it's a Square Enix game and it's for the next gen, it's going to involve a lot of resource building first before they can even start to pull the game together. So, Right. There's probably a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes with Kingdom Hearts 3 that probably the director doesn't need to be directly involved with until later on in the, the development cycle. But you're right, it probably will be a couple of years after Final Fantasy XV. And I guess the reason that I think that Square Enix is has such a limited uh, pace within, with getting its games out is that console games aren't really the focus of its business anymore. Uh, as much as a lot of fans get uh, upset by that, the reality is that a lot of Square Enix's interest is in mobile games, which are better margin for, for the company. So we probably won't get as many big console games from Square Enix moving forwards. So it's probably a good thing for fans of the entire company that there's a break between games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, I mean, who wants to play two, two Square Enix games, 15 and uh, Kingdom Hearts 3, uh, in one year and then have to wait six or seven years for the next game. Yeah, it is better if they do space it out a little bit, you know. But it's it, it's it's just weird because, you know, um, both of these series, series that they have, like, they have huge fan bases and um, a, a Final Fantasy fan might not particularly be a Kingdom Hearts fan. So it's like, you know, you have two different kind of fan bases to cater to and it can be hard to juggle both of them. Right, right. And I think, you know, a lot of developers kind of do this. I think Nintendo's really good about spacing out their big releases for the most part. Um, the only, you know, the downside, uh, the way it happens with Nintendo is there's not a whole lot of third-party support to pad out the weight. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for Square Enix, I think it's it's probably best... I think, you know, people would be upset if they got the two games pretty close together and then neither one of them was as good as it could have been. So, uh, the way I always look at it is if they delay a game, it's because they're trying to make it better. And, you know, I, I'm I'm fine with waiting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. All right, so the last thing, or there's actually two more topics I want, we wanted to cover for, for news. Um, for launch of the PS4, it, it has quite a good launch lineup i think uh, we actually did a versus about this but uh for me personally the ps4 looks really good for 2014 that's where most of the games that i want to play are coming out uh stuff like infamous second son um that game's probably the biggest one for me elder scrolls online i'm looking forward to seeing how that plays on consoles um, but another really big one i'm not sure when it comes out hopefully next year is deep down from capcom which uh, I was blown away by the E3 presentation. Even if that isn't exactly how in-game graphics look, it was one of the best-looking games I've ever seen. And if it's similar... Uh, I know Matt's going to disagree here, but if it's similar to Dragon's Dogma, I'll be happy. Uh, I love that game. Yeah, I know you was a big fan of that. And so I'm kind of curious, just since you're, you weren't a big fan of Dragon's Dogma, Matt, what, did you, what do you think of Deep Down from what you've seen so far? 
Uh, when I watched the E3 trailer, which was the, the first one thing, or was it the PlayStation 4 unveil? Either way, uh, when I watched the, the original trailer, I was uh, I was fairly interested into it, in it until I realised that it did look a lot like Dragon's Dogma in terms of the uh, aesthetic style and um, the, the way that the, the dungeon seemed to be rendered. So I was not a big fan of Dragon's Dogma at all. In fact, I, I really didn't enjoy the game. So I'm not really looking forward to that one as much. Have you played any of the... Have you played uh, Demon Souls or Dark Souls? Oh, yeah, I absolutely love those two games. I don't know I don't know why I didn't like Dragon's Dogma. I just didn't. It's, it, everything on paper should be something that I would love, but for some reason it just didn't come together for me. Yeah, I've had games like that before, too. That's understandable. Um, the, see, the biggest thing for me, uh, especially since last week they came out with some more details for Deep Down, is uh, I was originally thinking it was... A, Deep Down with just a code name for Dragon's Dogma 2. That's what I thought. It's, you know, they both start with D for each word. It's made by Capcom. I thought it was pretty obvious. Uh, I guess it's not. It's a new game. Uh, it's a PS4 exclusive this time. It's uh, set in New York in the year 2094. Um, and, yeah, that, that's kind of weird. I don't understand how that makes any sense, but... Um, it's going to be mostly, it's pretty much an online-only game, too. It's multiplayer co-op, uh, randomly gen- generated dungeons, uh, monsters and loot are going to be randomly generated. Uh, and, it, I mean, there, it draws a lot of comparisons to Dark Souls as far as the way the game plays this time, as opposed to Dragon's Dogma. Um, so I, I'm pretty curious to learn some more about it. I know it looks yeah. great to me, but I'm, you know, I still haven't really seen any you know, extensive gameplay outside of a new video that they released from TGS. It, to me, it looks very interesting, and um, the way you just described it as being, you know, an online game and everything, that would be cool to have, like, a, a game similar to Dark Souls where you can um, hop in with people and, you know, raid dungeons and all that stuff. Uh, I know me and you would probably play that for hours. Oh, so. definitely, yeah. All right, so next is I wanted to talk about the uh, PlayStation Vita TV. I'm pretty curious to hear your guys' thoughts on this, particularly as it relates to the lifespan of the Vita and what it can mean for RPGs on that system. Because I know for me personally, I whenever I first got the Vita, I was excited because of the prospect of having great RPGs on a powerful system like that. And I feel like it's been a little underwhelming for the most part. Um, so, what are your guys' thoughts on you know being able to play some of the Vita RPGs on your TV once you know system kind of takes off more? I was going to say for the first thing, uh, the Vita being underwhelming in terms of RPGs, you must not be a fan of the Atelier series. I haven't really played many of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely love the Vita in terms of the the RPGs it offers. Um, it's got those two. It's got a um, you know, it's got Soul Sacrifice, which is an incredible RPG in its own right. That's a good one. Yeah, I like Ragnarok yeah. Odyssey too. Uh, that was that's a great one as well. And um, there's a, a I guess a big add-on slash semi sequel coming on the way for that as well. So there are the there is good RPGs out there on the PSV. They're probably not as well known as they should be, uh, which is what's hurting the Vita. I think it's more perception than reality. Uh, in terms of the PS Vita TV, uh, I think it's a, it, I think it's a really good thing. Um, 
I've got an Apple TV uh, and an iPad, and I use the, the streaming ability um, in a similar way that I would end up using the, the PS Vita TV, I imagine. Uh, it's great to have the games when you're out and about, um, and then when you come home to be able to play them on the TV in, you know, kicking back, relaxed on the lounges with a nice big display. It's kind of the best of both worlds as far as I'm concerned. Right. So I'm really looking forward to this device. It was uh, a nice little surprise. Yeah, I think for me, um, I'm definitely a fan of a lot of the RPGs I played on the Vita. I need to check those out then, uh, the ones that you mentioned. I've heard good things about that series. I've um, I played Alchemist of Dusk. That's in the same series, isn't it? That's a new series. Um, okay. The the two that are on the Vita so far are from the previous series. Okay, okay. Um, for, for me, like the dream game for the Vita would either be a huge, huge, massive turn-based RPG. I think that would be great because of the pick-up-and-play aspect and grinding and that kind of stuff. But also, I would love to see a huge, massive open-world game on the Vita, and just being able to take that with me wherever I went, that seems really appealing. And so I'm kind of waiting for those two things, personally. And I think it would be great to have the Vita TV. It, it sounds awesome to me, especially once the PS4 comes out. I'm, I'm looking forward to um, Fantasy Star coming to the VR, because uh, that's a series I, I enjoyed playing on the Dreamcast. So, you know, have, having that on the Vita would be awesome. And I would Definitely. also like to see a Star Ocean game or something on there. That would be pretty cool. Because I like those games. Um, I've got I've got the last one that came out on PS3, but I haven't really had much time to play it. But I feel like if I have it on Vita, I would make the effort to play it because, you know, you can take the Vita around with you while you travel and stuff. And, you know, that's like the ideal time to play those type of games. So... Yeah, I would love to see a lot more JRPGs like that on there. But as for the PS Vita TV itself, um, it's a it's a Jap a Japan exclusive for the time being. Uh, I I I think that they're gonna make it exclusive to Japan until the PS4 comes out there, and then you know they'll probably release it uh, in the Western part of the world as well. Does it have a release date? Uh, isn't it coming out this year in Japan or something? Because you know um, PS4 isn't coming out till next year in Japan, so this is probably their their way of you know giving Japan something. Okay. It's also possibly uh, with with the Japan being it's a product that is fairly tailored to the Japanese market. If you look at the yeah. numbers, the the console sales in Japan are shrinking. Uh, and that's not just because it's the end of a cycle or the, the Wii U's out as well, but it's not just because it's the end of the generation. It's just uh, the Japanese uh, way that they play games is much more mobile now. Uh, yeah. So it's possible that uh, Sony sees this as a way to help build the Vita market while also keeping itself, um, giving itself a play under the TV as well. It, they, they might see that as the, the way to do consoles in Japan moving forwards. Yeah, yeah, I think that definitely makes I sense. I can see your point. And I think, you know, a lot of people, especially uh, a lot of Western gamers, don't understand that, you know, how vastly different the cultures and the way that people play games are on opposite sides of the world. And, you know, a lot of people, like, for example, you know, if, if you talk to a lot of people here, they, they don't understand that the Xbox 360, like, barely sold any over in Japan. 
And it's just, you know, it has a lot to do with marketing, but also it just has a lot to do with, uh, you know, feature set and the way that consoles are presented and the way that games are presented. And I would definitely like to get the Vita TV, but I think uh, you're probably right, Gary. I, I don't know if it's going to be coming over to the West as a priority immediately. I'm sure, I know it will eventually, but um, it's, it just, I don't know if it's going to be a huge success over here because other options already exist. Like, you know, Matt, yeah. you already said you have the Apple TV. They have the the Chromecast now that's super cheap that does most of the app stuff. You got smart TVs out. Most people have consoles already. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I like the idea of it. With me personally, though, um, regarding the Vita TV, I, I probably wouldn't even use it for the Vita features because I'm actually happy playing the Vita how I play it already. So, uh, for me, the, the selling point uh, is being able to play your PS4 on any TV. So, like, you can have your console in one room and then you can have, like, your PS Vita downstairs or something and you can play your PS4 remotely through it. That That's, what, that's the feature that's really driving me towards it. So, now, to move into the latter portion of our discussion, kind of want to talk about um, just the general genre of JRPGs and kind of how they're moving forward into the next generation and how they're, um, you know, just how the genre's evolving. And right, I don't even know if it would be accurate to call it a genre. I guess it's really just a way of making an RPG. I kind of refer to it as a genre personally. Um, but yeah, so I guess first, uh, I just want to ask you, Matt, like how do you see the JRPG evolving kind of going forward and how current generation games have push the genre forward and that kind of stuff? Well, funny enough, I think that the JRPG genre is evolving by having, uh, I, I guess, developers are uh, finding that they've got less budget to play with relative to uh, some of the other games that are made out there, which sounds funny to say that's an evolution, but it does force a degree of creativity into the JRPG genre that we um, we haven't seen perhaps as much uh, with Square Enix trying to push um, their Final Fantasy series into the big budget territory. It's good to see that there are so many other JRPGs out there that are focusing on very simple ideas uh, and making the most of very limited budgets. And that's given us rise to games like um, the Hyperdimension Neptunia series, which is just... It knows its market. It's a very cheaply made game, but it's it's wildly creative. So I think creativity is where the JRPG genre can continue to be uh, something that people buy. I don't see the genre being able to compete with Bioware-style budgets and Mass Effects and Dragon Age-type games in the future. Right. I think I kind of agree on that point. Um, I do think it's interesting, though, that some developers are kind of... Um, mixing, I guess, the philosophies. Like, uh, going back to another example, I know you, you weren't a fan of this one, but Dragon's Dogma, I mean, is a kind of an interesting example of a Japanese developer making a game that, seen, that plays and feels like a Western RPG and the fact that it's, you know, mostly open world and, you know, the way the narrative is presented and the way that the cinematics are and all that kind of stuff. And uh, do, do you think we're ever going to see kind of the flip side of that, where a lot of Western developers make games that feel like they're JRPGs? I must admit I don't see that happening. The reason is 
pretty simple is the with JRPGs that are you know, when we're talking about JRPGs that aren't made by Square Enix and aren't made deliberately to appeal to a Western audience as well, which Dragon's Dogma was. Right. You're looking at a it's a cultural thing. Um, a lot of what drives the JRPG forward is the Japanese culture itself and their their approach to humor, their approach to uh, philosophy and narrative and so on. That kind of thing isn't easy to capture if you're not part of that culture yourself. And right. I think it works both ways. The times that J- Japanese developers have tried to make first-person shooters, they've almost always been absolutely woeful. So <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so I, I think... I think that the Western developers won't try to make JRPGs and the J- Japanese developers will wake up to the fact that they can't make shooters. Yeah, that's, that's a good point about that. Yeah, they have a, a, a real gift to RPGs that you just can't replicate anywhere else. You know, like, they they have their own traditional methods and um, that that's what, if you're into JRPGs, that's what you fell in love with, you know. And it's just you know, that that's the only place you can go to to get that. And it's sad to see that, you know, they don't have uh, as big budgets as everyone else does these days. Because I would like to see more of those type of games like Nino Kuni and um, uh, what was that game? White Knight Chronicles and Resonance of Fate. You know, those were really good JRPGs that kind of went under the radar. Yeah, I'm actually happy you brought up White Knight Chronicles. That that's a game that I really really like. I haven't played the second one, but the first one I thought was very unique. I really liked the way the combat worked and the way you can make your own combos and stuff and it had like the online aspect and I thought it was a pretty good game. Have have you played it, Matt? Uh yeah, I've played that one and the sequel and the PSP game which was only released in uh Europe. Okay, okay. Um and yeah, I agree with you. I think I think those games got a fairly bad rap for being uh, quite generic when I thought that the combat system was actually fairly unique and the oh, yeah. the traditional it was clearly it was clear that they're going for a traditional JRPG setting and narrative and I thought that pulled pulled that off pretty well. Yeah, they did. See, the I think the logic is with gamers like if they see a JRPG and it looks like it's kind of using like um, dated mechanics or whatever. Um, a lot of times it's not actually dated mechanics, it's just that, you know, they're going for a specific type of feel um, that's very traditional. And, you know, you just have to be the type of gamer that likes that sort of thing. Like me, I still love uh, turn-based combat. Like, it's still, like, my favorite type of battle system. Yeah, and I've, I'm kind of hoping that it makes a, some type of return, um, personally. I, I, the way that gaming works, especially, is you see, you know... People try to evolve stuff and they innovate and it, everything's great and awesome, but eventually it's going to get to a point where being traditional and doing things the way that they used to be done becomes unique because people yeah. are used to seeing new stuff and so it feels new to see old stuff. And I, I think hopefully we get to that point with RPGs because I agree. I mean, I, real-time combat's awesome and it can lead to some really epic, awesome, beautiful moments in a game, but... There's something to be said for just the slow-paced, strategic, turn-based combat, and whenever that's done right, that's one of the best ways to have an RPG, I think, and I hope that it kind of makes a little bit of a comeback, personally. I think that's the problem that 
Square Enix ran into with with Final Fantasy XIII, that series of games. They they trap themselves with the first game in that they have to be trying to push the envelope in terms of push, uh, you know, being creative or being innovative. Um, right, right. And Final Fantasy XIII is uh, is a good game. You know, it's well made. The the action certainly works. There's a there's quite a lot of depth into the combat system. But because Square Enix was so determined to make this game uh, an, an innovative one, it actually alienated a lot of the JRPG fans. So then they had to backtrack with that with Final Fantasy XIII 2, and in the process yeah. created a, a new set of problems for itself. Um, and Final Fantasy XIII 3 looks like it's going to be doing the same thing again. I can't see all the traditional Final Fantasy fans getting on board with that game either. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. an interesting thing you bring up, because... The 13 series sort of exists in this limbo between, you know, people love it because it's Final Fantasy, but at the same time, they hate it because it's too different. But then if it's too much like the old games, they're going to hate it because it's not new. And it's a very frustrating situation for the developers to be in. And I, you know, I kind of feel bad for them because the series has been going for so long, you can't make everyone happy. And that's the problem when you get to the point where you have to sell six million copies or whatever to break even. Right. The basic reality is you have to make everybody happy. Uh, and Square Enix has found that over and over again. Uh, everybody knows the story about Tomb Raider being a financial uh, mishit because it didn't sell five million copies. If right. you're going to make a game that needs to appeal to everybody, you are going to end up annoying some people, which is, um, I guess, a, a, a bit of a problem that all big-budget developers face. And yeah, I think because you can't back, please everybody. Yeah, exactly. And going back to my point about the JRPG genre, I think it's for the best that it focuses on those small budget games because that way they can focus on appealing to their fans rather than trying to get everybody on board. Yeah, I, d- I definitely agree with that. And I know for me personally, like the mindset that I have whenever I go into a, a Tales game or a Final Fantasy game or any other you know JRPG game, is it's a lot different mindset than if I were to go into a new Bethesda or a Bioware game. And I you know, I think the fans of those respective genres, like the hardcore fans, they understand that. And I think the developers kind of just need to take a step back and understand that and know that it's okay to have you know, it's okay for some people to not like what you're making as long as, you know, you're able to make the game efficiently and like you said, kind of a smaller budget, do what you do well. And, you know, you'll make enough money to keep making games and keep making your fans happy. Exactly. And I think uh, one of the biggest things for me, like, um, you know, a game like Elder Scrolls, for example, it's one of my favorite series, but I don't play those games to, you know, be amazed by the, I guess you could say, like, set-piece moments or cutscenes or, you know, the really, really awesome... Uh, detailed storyline and, you know, backstory. Like, you get that if you take the time to read the books and you dive into the lore. But, you know, whenever I play an Elder Scrolls game, I play it to get immersed in the world. And whenever I play a JRPG, usually it's for me to have a story told to me and to enjoy a story that is being told. Yeah, Yeah, there's nothing like uh, Japanese storytelling. And uh, one thing I really love about um, JRPGs is they, they really know how to use the music as well to you know grip you into the story they make very great use of of all the soundtracks and stuff so that's another thing i love about them yeah i think um oh go ahead sorry 
The other thing that we should remember is that uh, you, you mentioned the Elder Scrolls games, and those are wildly popular in the West. But if you go over the, the sea to Japan, uh, those games get good reviews. I think Elder Scrolls, uh, I think Skyrim got a perfect score in Famitsu. They get good scores in Japan, but they don't necessarily sell that well. Right. Um, and I think I think here in the West, we, we tend to get so focused on the, the sales in America of, of games that we, yeah. uh, we forget that these games aren't really made for the American or the, the Western audience. So if they sell well over here, it's almost, it's almost like a bonus for the developers. The, their focus is still uh, on selling well in Japan. And I think that's the a thing that some of the developers in Japan, again, Square Enix has uh, lost sight of a little bit, that they need to develop for their own market first and foremost. Uh, and then if the game sells well over in the West, then that's, that's an extra, uh, I guess, uh, reason to keep localizing the games. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I think it's for me, it's it's a little disappointing that you know, I I think they said that it was still it's successful and um, they're going to be continuing hopefully with the partnership. But Nino Kuni, I think that game has, I think it sold less than two million, which I mean, I I feel like that's a little disappointing just because I I love that game and I feel like it was one of the best JRPGs that I played in. The, this entire generation, maybe I liked it a little bit too much. I don't know, but I felt like it was a great game. <laughs> I agree with you. I think it, yeah. it was a really good game. I thought it actually sold really well, given that it doesn't have a title that's going to really encourage people that play Call of Duty to pick it up. Um, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> the title people aren't going to understand. Which is the same. Which is another problem that, or I, I guess you could call it a problem, or it's it's just giving the the fans what they want. I mean. A lot of the Japanese RPGs don't have titles which are necessarily marketable, um, and that that does tend to affect sales a bit. I think Nino Kuni selling two million overseas, if that's what it sold, was a, actually a really good job. Um, I think they have every right to be very happy with that. I think that might have even been a greater success than it was in um, than it was in uh, Japan. I seem to remember the DS version of Nino Kuni actually bombing. Oh, really? Yeah, I think one of the versions, uh, this is just off my memory of reading the story a couple of years ago, but one of the versions of Nino Kuni didn't actually sell very well in Japan at all. Hmm. I, know that, I didn't even know that was a DS version. Yeah, the cool thing about the DS version was it came with a physical wizard book. Like the book that's oh, in the PS3 version, you got a physical copy of that. Yeah, and you actually had to draw the um, spells that you wanted to cast onto the DS screen, so you'd actually be oh, flicking through awesome. the book. Yeah, you'd actually be flicking through the book looking for the spell you wanted to cast. Yeah, it's a, that's a really cool idea. I kind of, I, I was kind of hoping for them to bring that version over, but I can't complain because I think the, you know, aren't there a lot of differences though between the DS and PS3 version? I, I assume that they added a whole lot more depth and changed the way the game plays and stuff. Yeah, there is. They are very different games. Um, so if if the DS version did come out to the the West, there's no guarantee that it would be as popular uh, or as well received by the critics. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think um, you know we had a pretty good discussion about uh, JRPGs moving forward, and I I kind of agree. You know, like looking at the series like Tales, uh, that that's kind of a series that I feel hasn't changed hardly at all over the years. But they do what they do so well that it's not even really seen as a bad thing that the series is kind of similar over entries. It's, you know, it's, it is what it is, and it does it so well that, you know, it's always great. 
Yeah, and in my review of Tales, my own review of Tales, I must admit I did criticise the game a little bit for not for not changing uh, over the time. Uh, I've played pretty much all the Tales games that have been released in the West, and that game, that specific game, is so stuck on its system that it's almost uh, it's almost at the point where it's too much now. Right. So I guess I'm contradicting what I said earlier when I said that uh, you know some some progress would be uh, would be a good thing for that series, but there is I, I guess with any game series or with, with any franchise you do need to find strike that balance between keeping your original fans happy and then finding new ones and I do think that the Tales series will struggle to find new fans moving forwards unless it finds a way to I guess change things up just that little bit. Yes, as they say, time will tell. Or they might not. I mean, I, I know those games sell well, so I'm sure Namco Bandai has um, feels that it's doing the right job with that series. Yeah, definitely. I'm um, I'm looking forward to seeing how Final Fantasy evolves. That's kind of like an ongoing saga that's fun to watch and see how those games change. Yeah, well, the next one is going to be like completely real time now, so that's going to be interesting to see. And um, even Lightning Returns, like, has kind of moved more towards real time than the the previous thirteen ones were, because it's like you're actually pressing the face buttons to to carry out the attacks and stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm gonna have to wait and see when I play it, I guess. Yeah, I'm a little bit unsure about Final Fantasy 15 at this stage. I think it's funny that the most popular Final Fantasy game in recent years has been the re-release of. Uh, a very traditional MMO, which is very traditional Final Fantasy, after Square Enix managed to screw up the original release by trying to do something different. I think there's a, I think, I think there's a lesson in there for Square Enix that perhaps there is a, a large audience of Final Fantasy fans out there that just want to play a traditional Final Fantasy game, and it's been a very long time, other than the MMO, it's been a very long time since we've had one of those. Yeah. Very true. I agree. I mean, I I think ex- you're, looking, I expect... you're looking back to what ten? The last time there was a, a traditional, traditional Final Fantasy game. I guess you could argue twelve is, but ten was the last one that was really traditional. And um, if you look at the way fans reacting to the remake of Final Fantasy ten, uh, that should show that there's a lot of latent demand there for that kind of gameplay. Yeah, I think um, maybe they're waiting to see how ten does as far as sales go. But I think it goes without saying that that game is probably going to sell incredibly well. Yeah, I believe so. I personally never even played Ten Two, so I'm looking forward to playing that for the first time. Ten Two is an interesting one. (laughs) Ten Two's got its fans for sure, but um, it's got its critics as well. It's it's uh, it's different for Square Enix. It's very um lighthearted. It's very there's not really that same kind of feel of an epic plot it's it's very um it's very i don't even know if I think of the right word but it's just a very uh light-hearted game it's, it's almost like throwaway fiction <laughs> kind of play it and enjoy yeah, it i mean it, it wasn't it. it wasn't completely necessary for them to do it but it's just it's, it's another great game you know like gameplay wise it's really fun to play and stuff so it's it just it cool just that they put- did it it was a chance to put Yuna in hot pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's let's face it, the Square Enix knows it's got fans and fan service is a thing, so <laughs> just look at the way they're marketing thirteen uh three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All the costumes. <laughs> <laughs> that that game is a huge fan service at they, this point. They also upgraded <laughs> Lightning's cup size. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
which we've talked. I think this makes the third time we've talked about that. I'm I'm not ashamed. That's fine. I talk about it every day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess that that's what we're looking forward to. As far as other updates, there's something that we've mentioned at the end of other episodes that has once again kind of been put on pause due to other projects. Uh, I don't think I've I've mentioned this to you, Matt, but um, Gary and I and one other person, we are in the process um, of actually working on our own RPG uh, using RPG Maker VX Ace. It's a program I reviewed last year. and Great, it's, great piece of software. It really is. It's pretty awesome. And oh, have you used it? Yeah, yeah, I did a review as well. It was um, yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant thing to get into game development. Yeah, it makes nice. it very simple, but you can also get very deep if you uh, take the time to kind of, kind of learn Ruby a little bit, or maybe go on the forums and get some handles with the scripting and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's been an experience. It, it definitely takes a lot of time, and I can't. It, it kind of puts things into perspective for me personally. If it, it's taken me months to finish the opening half-hour tutorial of the game. And to <laughs> put that into perspective, I'm using a pre-baked program that makes it easier. So I, I can only imagine what it must actually be like. And this is, you know, 2D sprites and stuff. But, uh, yeah, but yeah I, I don't remember if what we've said about the content of the game. It is, it is going to be based on us. We are the main characters. It is going to be a very, uh, you could say, a parody of other RPGs or a um, you know references to the game industry, that kind of stuff. It's a it's a work in progress. Uh, whenever we have real updates, we're gonna eventually talk about it more in depth on turn base. We're kind of we talk about it here just so that we can tell a few people about it. You know, the five or six people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> and so maybe if we you know slowly tell people about it, it'll eventually keep us more honest, and we actually can work on it more. Yeah. All right. We're also we're also um, doing a course, aren't we, tomorrow? A game programming course. We are. Yeah, we signed up for a free online course in C Sharp. So, gonna see how that goes. We nice. already have good homework. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, it was good having you on the show, Matt. It was great actually meeting you officially, and you know, not looking at your little Wii avatar. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was th- thanks very much for the invite, guys. It was really good fun having a chat with you. Yeah, let good us to have you on. Uh, let us know if you uh, do any podcasts with digitally downloaded and looking for guests or anything like that. I'll do that absolutely. All right. Well, everyone should go uh, check out digitally downloaded. And also, aren't you running a uh, kind of like a poll right now for a study you're doing? You want to tell us? Oh about yeah, that? absolutely. Thanks, thanks for that. Um, yeah, we we're running, um, we're doing some research about for for a major feature that uh, I'm going to be writing about uh, perceptions of Japanese games in Western cultures. So uh, we've got a survey up there. Uh, if uh, it takes about ten minutes to fill out, and there are prizes. Um, so yeah, if, if everybody could go and fill that one out, it would be greatly appreciated. Oh, I'm going to go do that right now. Yeah, and we can make sure to link that in the article itself for the podcast. Yeah. Thanks very much. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks for coming, and I guess that concludes episode 22 of Turnbase, the RPG podcast.